0: Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of The Boldly Immortal. Uh, Today is another one of the more rambly types. I don't have this one written out. Um, uh, Last episode was uh, politic, and analyzing the Matters Politic, uh, which honestly, I I really enjoyed that one, and it was a lot of fun to write it, to do the research for it, Um, and I think, I know there's some development that I could do on that argument, um, but I kind of like that there's some points that aren't aren't quite as uh, completely articulated and explored as they could be, because it gives me a reason to go back to it and to continue talking about it, which... Is, uh, is something I want to do. So uh, please, if you enjoyed that, uh, let me know and uh, share that with some other people, see what they think, or just take a clip of some of the ideas and uh, give me a thought on, on one of those. I think it's, a, it's an interesting topic to explore, particularly in our uh, current days. Um, as I probably covered on the last uh, rambly one, right, I've been doing my own weird fasting and stuff and Actually, now that we're out of uh, the season of Lent, I am officially done with my carnivore experiment, and so I'll give you probably today some updates on that, as well as some thoughts on the, I guess, practical applications of the matters politic that we have going on in our country today. So I uh, hope y'all are doing okay. This is a bit of a tough time for everybody, I'll admit. I, I have... Finally, gotten to the point where I'm realizing that it is uh, it isn't the greatest thing for everybody to be stuck inside. You know, there's a lot of people who are affected by this um, in really, uh, well, real, real negative ways. And while I personally have been very much enjoying it, um, at this point we are hitting a stage of. Of effect where you know the number of people who've had to stay in who haven't been able to work or participate in the activities that give them rhythm that give them purpose um that assign meaning to the day-to-day movements right the culmination of achievements i mean think about graduation ceremonies right those are completely gone and that that's going to affect people right it affects the way that you perceive the work that went into it. Um, That's why, that's why we have ceremonies to celebrate these, these big events. So, you know, the fact that there are people affected by this, it's something that, you know, I've, I've come to, to really appreciate in the more recent days. And so I do, I do want to acknowledge that that is, that is a real pain and and it isn't, it isn't all sunshine and roses like it is in uh, some of the, some of the things that I've been able to, to do in it. So while there has been good, it's also, you know, the, the reason i like to highlight the benefits is because, generally speaking, it is a a negative time that we're all having. You know, it's not not particularly beneficial. There's a lot of people who are hurting from this, um, particularly those who are immunocompromised or have metabolic disease, right? I'll, you know, just want to set that out there. It's a pre-existing condition people might not even know about, pre-diabetics who have been eating unhealthy, and they don't know it, but they're now there and you know so just be warned if you if you eat a lot of carbs if you don't even if you exercise even if you're in good shape even if your bmi is healthy your body might not be so i'm going to try and avoid that too much um in terms of talking about y'all and i'll talk about me instead in regards to my diet because it's something i've i've heard in the past that people are a lot more protective about like what they eat like, that's one of the things that they're less willing to sacrifice on, right? If you give somebody the option of changing their diet or exercising more, they will want to exercise more, which makes total sense, right? I mean, food is, is such a fundamental part of living, right? It is what you get to fuel your body. And so if somebody says, well, you're using the wrong fuel, your immediate reaction is, well, it's fuel, it's fuel. I need it. I need it. And and so I think there's a there's a strong emotional reaction as well as um, physical, you know, actual addiction that we have for even the basic necessities. Even the things that are good for us, we, we're going to get that, that sort of addiction. And so if there's something that's, you know, we're eating that isn't maybe as good as it could be, we're going to have that reaction. So I'll try and avoid poking y'all because y'all probably aren't going to, be interested if I t- tell you, hey, you should change what you do, but I'll tell you what I went through with me. And honestly, the combination of going carnivore and intermittent fasting, and especially with the passion-tied fast, oh man, I don't think I've felt better in a long time. I've never, honestly, I probably haven't weighed that little since I was 10 years old. I was, I was a chubby kid. So, Um, yeah, when I was, when I was in high school, I got all the way up to, I think, 245 pounds. That was my max. I might've hit 250 one time when I was playing football. Um, yeah, when I was, when I was going and working out in the gym every day and then I had a sport after school, uh, so I would work out in the morning and then I had sports afterwards and I was still hitting 240, 250, um. And then I, I got to college and I lost 15 pounds because I stopped eating so much because I had to pay for it myself um, But now I'm actually like I think I, I when I weighed in on on Sunday Before Easter break Easter dinner, right, the big Easter meal I was at I was down to 180 pounds and I honestly don't think I've been there in the last 12 years It's it's ridiculous. Um, and the nice thing is I'm not sacrificing energy I wasn't, right? Um, And so really, all in all, I can say I was okay. Now, does that mean anything for you? You decide. But I can attest to my experiment with the carnivore diet and say it was not just um, safe, but it was a resounding success. So I guess the only encouragement I will actively give is don't, be afraid to try something different. Don't be af- don't be so convinced that you're right, that you're unable to be convinced that you're right, right? Which is an interesting thought, right? Just to just kind of say that, right? Do not be so convinced in yourself, in your own mind, that you are correct, that nobody else would need to make the argument to tell you that you are right, right? And I think that's important. I think it's important that whatever you hold, Whatever you're, you're clinging on to as these these fundamentally important things, make sure that that you could play the devil's advocate, and then be and then have that devil's advocate position proved wrong, because that way you're, you're forcing yourself to engage the opposition, but you're also willing to admit when you are in fact correct. You know, and so there's a duality there. It's important to understand that you might not be right. It's important to understand that the way you do things, the way you live your life, might not be the best way to do it. But it's also important when somebody challenges you to be able to say, yes, this is correct for these reasons. It's apologetics, right? Apologetics in the faith is going through evidence as to why we believe what we believe, right? It's defense. It's this is what the arguments are that we can put forward to defend the doctrines that we believe, right? You could analyze the historic resurrection of Jesus Christ to say, well, yeah, um, the body wasn't there, and we have witnesses who testified to him being risen from the dead. I mean, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Oh, it's wonderful for Easter. We have evidence for that. We have historical documents and eyewitness testimony. That is evidence. We have the records of hostile witnesses, like the Jews, who, who testified that he was uh, performing what they called witchcraft. So he was doing miracles um, of some kind. This, you know, Yeshua HaNatsri. So there is no, there, there are. there's evidence there in our understanding of the world as it was before us that this event happened. Okay, there you go. Looking at that evidence, the archaeological, the textual, the, you know, the literary evidence for th- Jesus. That's that's apologetics. And and that's not what that's not generally speaking what you should use to to try and convince somebody of the of of well, you can't convince somebody, but to to tell somebody about the gospel. Preach it. Just preach it, right? Trust me. Um I could tell my atheist friend however many facts I want but that's not going to convince him because that's not what he's looking for. That's not what stops him from believing it. What stops him from believing is a preconceived notion of the way the world is supposed to work and what is going to change his mind is not me, but it is the the preaching of, of the gospel, the actual just preaching of it, not the not the argument, but the preaching. Um, topic for perhaps another day. But the point of, of going on that that uh, tangent was to say you should not just have a religious apologetic, right? Attempt in all, not maybe not all, right? You don't have to defend everything that you do. Some things you can just do for fun, I'll admit, right? I have things I do for fun that probably aren't the, the most reasonable. Um, but it is a good idea for major things in your life to have an apologetic. To say, this is why I do what I do. This is why I do this exercise because it's good for me, right? This is why I eat this food, because I like it, because it's passed down through my family, because I enjoy cooking, right? Because I, you know, I, I don't eat breakfast because I never have, right? There's 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 arguments, right? And then we can weigh those arguments. And the idea that when you're if, if somebody has better arguments than you, like if I came at you and I said, look, this is unhealthy, you're eating, you know, Doritos every single meal, and you say, Well, I like Doritos, right? this the actual apologetic will end very much not in your favor if you try to eat doritos every meal. You won't have a lot of the evidence behind you. In fact, you'll know it eventually. If you're intellectually honest, you will know that that what you're doing is not right. But that doesn't mean that you have to change your mind. You can do what you you can do the thing that you think is wrong. You're free to do it. But just have reasons. Have a reason to do what you, what, you, what you're doing and um be And then intellectual honesty to understand when your position is incorrect and to admit that you might want to hold the incorrect opinion even if the evidence is against you, right? To do what the, what the atheists, a lot of them do, right? The deistic atheists where they're like, well, I'll admit you've got a lot of evidence, but I have an a priori thing that I'm doing and that's me. Okay, sure, fine. And don't hear me saying that because you— Eat carbs that you're like an atheist. No, don't. Please don't. Um, but do hear me saying, this is the attitude that I expect my to hold myself to. And so, you know, if you're going to bring something out at me, just be ready to, to attack. Be ready to handle the defense that I, I put up. Because that's that is important. It is important to be able to defend your positions. It is important to be able to justify what you're doing, especially if you have the time to think about it. And that's why you should take the time to think about it, because if you can take the time to think about it, then you can do what you've what you've thought through, and then because you've thought through these things and you've actually come to a reasonable conclusion as to hey, this is what I should be doing, and I'm going to make an effort at doing this, um, then you can then you can actually judge yourself, then you can actually look at what you're doing with a with a lens of optimization, with a lens of seeking to do what is right. Uh, which I think we all ought to be working for anyway. Um, if we want to, to do good for our neighbors, how can we look at our own bodies and say they are not worth doing the best we can with? Um, ought we not do the best we can with our bodies so that we are best equipped to help our neighbors? All right, and and the best best in this case does not mean I am in. Ultimate physical condition, as determined by the society around me, it is able to serve your neighbor as long as possible, uh, to keep your body healthy so that you can be there for your family and maybe see great grandchildren, great great grandchildren. You know, I recently listened to a podcast by a a fantastic fella between a, a doctor in Tennessee and a an engineer in. Ireland, right, who this engineer, this particular engineer works on um, low fat biology, and basically just analyzing how the human body works. And the doctor was talking to him about his personal experience with this and how he's been working with his clients. But one of the things that the doctor was saying was his goal is to be able to basically play outside with his great grandchildren, right, to act to engage with them actively. And I thought, that's a great goal. Now, I don't know if it's going to be achievable uh, just because of the, the nature of the human body to degrade, but that is a laudable goal. And, and if you think about the, the heritage that that would pass down to those great-grandchildren, physical health would in that regard be something to value. Um, and so, so I think uh, that's what I'm kind of thinking about with regards to my particular diet is, well, I felt really good. And so far have not had any major side effects. I mean, I've had some side effects in bringing some, a couple of foods back in that I'm like, ooh, I didn't expect that to have the reaction it did. I should, I should think about that. Um, but on the whole, it's the question of, is this sustainable? And if I sustain it, what is the long-term outcome? And, you know, it's just I've got the time, I've got the energy, and I have the the open-minded, uh, carefree willingness to do whatever to give it a shot. So if you're curious about it, reach out. And um, if you're not curious about it, well, I'm terribly sorry, but that's something I'm passionate about. So uh, thanks for listening. I, I appreciate it. To move on to the other topic, though, right, politics, politics. Um, yeah, it's, it's the big—it is a bit of a, a conundrum. How, how do you talk about this without talking about it, right? How do you actually bring up a policy position that is being put forward without having people make presuppositions about the way you think and why you think that? And it's the nature of hyper-partisan politics to be confrontational— and that is beneficial for the marketability of a policy, right? I mean, if, you, if what you say is controversial but easily digestible, then it is likely to be uh, resonant with a larger percentage of your population because it gives you the ability to simplify the argument beyond what it actual, actually is, right? If you can simplify a complicated issue to a soundbite, if you can simplify it to a good guys, bad guys, then suddenly your ability to, to build people, to bring people into your tribe increases because you've, you've created an inflection point, right? You've created a binary decision point. And that way, you know, I mean, in some, some cases, some, some things are binary right um, abortion is a binary thing and you either are allowing murder or you're not okay sure some things aren't right immigration is a complicated issue I've talked about it a little bit in the past um, you know should I care more for the poor unemployed people in my neighborhood or the poor unemployed Uh, person around the world? Should I care more about the highly intelligent German engineer who wants to come to America or my local Hispanic neighbors who are second-generation immigrants, right? Well, I think one of those is is probably going to be more important for my civic duty, and it's going to be the one who's actually my neighbor, right, who's closer. So, um, But immigration is complicated, right? Why? Because the Economy is complicated because people are complicated, um, and you can't just shut it off, right? That's, that's not that's not a practical. Decision. You could you could right? You, it's possible. It's just you, you are you are dealing with a such a largely interconnected web of things because you're dealing with not just things but people. That to make a drastic policy decision like that is extreme. Entertaining the idea of a complete shutdown is not irrational, though, right? I once pitched this idea on immigration, right? And I want to preface this by saying it's a pitched idea for the sake of intellectual discussion, right? And we'll we'll use a different border. Suppose we wanted to shut off our border with Canada, right? Because they're a bunch of filthy communists, and we want to just say, no, I'm sorry. Um, and I, I have actually looked at my listening statistics of all the foreign countries that I have listeners in, I have none in Canada. I actually got a download from Australia. I've gotten a couple from New Zealand. Um, whoever you are, thank you so much. I'm glad you found this podcast. Um, and I hope, hope what we're providing is is valuable to you. Uh, but And Spain. I don't, don't want to not shout out Spain. Spain, I think I hit Ireland. Um, so thank you all so much for, for finding this. I don't know how you did, but thanks a lot. Um, but... The um, supposing, right, we we wanted to shut off our border from the communists because they finally realized that it's unsustainable and Alberta has seceded or whatever. Is it impossible to create a border like the, the demilitarized zone in North Korea, right, between North and South Korea? Well, no, it's not impossible. In fact, the fact that we made the demilitarized zone means it is possible. Is it moral? Well, that is a much more complicated question, but it's irrelevant to a certain extent. Uh, because the actual question is, is it, is it practical policy? Is it political, right? Is it a, an intelligent decision to make given the goals of what we're trying to accomplish? Well, tell you what, I've been on that border and good luck shutting it down. And honestly, why would you, um, there's not a lot, there's not a lot up there. It's a lot of empty land in Canada. You could really conquer it pretty easily if you wanted to, um, 1812 will recommence. <laughs> but but that's an interesting question, right? It's an interesting question to think about what are your priorities with a border. To say, is it is it practical, is it is it permissible to create an absolute border here with guns, right? Where anybody who gets close automatically we got drones flying over there, right? Wasteland. Well, if you allow that to be one possibility right that's the extreme closed end of it then what's the extreme open end anybody can come in all right so a moderate position would be regulating it right now now we have a fundamentally different context than if we say the extreme side of one end is limited immigration and the other extreme side of the other is open borders right and this is something I think referred to as the Overton window. It is what is the acceptable realm of dialogue, right? What is within the acceptable range of positions? And this is something that changes. And you can change it by getting more people with vo- their voices to entertain a certain, a certain idea. For example, socialized um, health care. In America, in the 1970s, probably would not have gone over very well. You know, 60s and 70s, you're talking the Cold War. People are really not going to support your socialist propositions because of, well, communism. Nowadays, the Overton window has shifted, right? The, The expectations of what is acceptable political dialogue has changed. Okay. So with that in mind, with that all in mind, I'm going to talk about quarantine law and my attitude towards it um, a little bit, a little bit, just briefly. Uh, One of the biggest casualties of the quarantine has been church. And it is just such an absolute travesty that we were not able to be in a good position for Easter Sunday. And I know a lot of people who did not have the opportunity to go to church services on Easter and um, did not have an opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper. And, And that's very, it's very sad. And I am not one of those people. And I am very grateful. And it's honestly something I'm going to cherish for the rest of my life is that I got to go to uh, Easter this this year. It was a very uh, close group, right? And not, not many of us because we're trying, my pastor is trying to ensure that we are safe in our participation and communion. But I still got to participate. And going forward, right, one of the big questions at this point in time is, how do we open things up? How do we return to normal, right? And we will have to, right? This is not. This is not the way the world is going to work because it, it can't be for something that has such a limited effect fundamentally, right? The greater effect at this point is is pushing on the economic ones, um, but the uh, the question then becomes: How do we get back to it? And what do we do? And and this is where. I think I you know I'm very proud of people like in um, in Michigan, for example, who this week ha- took their protest to the the state capitol. Part of that is because Michigan has some really dumb rules. Um, if you are on a rowboat, you can go out onto the water, but if you have if it if it's a gas boat, you can't. So if you're using gasoline, which is right now really cheap, and actually technically we have too much supply because of Saudi Arabia's oil pricing war with russia because russia is supporting iran and so we have this massive geopolitical issue in the middle east that we've been a part of for far too long and now we can finally get out of it but anyway they're bickering and so we're over here in america we've got our own oil and it's really dirt cheap right now because of this saudi, saudi arabian oil war that's going on pricing war but if you use gas you can't go out onto the water you can row out there if you're using your own two arms, but no gas. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant! Right? Why didn't somebody else think of that? Maybe because it's dumb. Um, and and at this point, my thought is just, we could use a little bit of civil disobedience, right? And that's honestly what it seems like they did. We had a lot of people, a good number of people, up in Michigan, up in Lansing, who got in their cars. And they drove up there, and they blocked up the streets with a protest. And you know what? Kudos, right? Um, the cost of that is entirely borne by the citizens, and the uh, it is a, it is a good way of getting your voice out there to to tell the government, right? To to address the government for a redress of grievances, right? And that is one of the rights that we are guaranteed, right? There were some people there with their guns, right? Because you're allowed to do that. So I'm very, I'm very proud of that as well, right? Open carry. The fact that we can, we in America, right? And this is something I don't think we appreciate enough. We in America have the freedom to walk onto our state capitals with guns as private citizens, right? Now, maybe not if you're in California, Right? But I know if you're in Texas, you, I'm pretty sure in Texas you can. I know in Michigan you can. Right? In Virginia, they had a whole they had a whole rally, a Second Amendment rally, where they're marching down the streets. You had you had effectively a civilian army with probably more firepower than 70% of the, the nations of the, on the earth. Just one state. Just people who showed up one day with their guns and their rocket launchers and their pistols and rifles and march down the street. And that is there to ensure that we have the right to do what we want, right? And and that's not do the right thing, it's do what we want to a certain extent. And part of those uh, part of the reason we have that is be- is because we have to protect those first amendment rights, right? The right to a the free exercise, the free exercise of religion, right? Saying you can't, you can't get together if there is more than ten people. That's not free. That's not free. I am sorry. Now, maybe that's responsible because as a church body, we are listening to the recommendations of the uh, health and political authorities. But that recommendation is still just that, and we need to. I think very seriously think as people about whether or not we are willing to endure to suffer the consequences of trying to defend those rights. because that's I know for a lot of for a lot of Lutherans in particular, for probably my family, um, it's one of the reasons we're here. We weren't allowed to freely exercise religion in Germany. Or wherever we were from, but for particularly in Germany, It's why the LCMS is what it is. It is because people said no. We will we will practice our religion the way we will. And if people say no, you can't go to church for six months. We need to throw a fit. I'm sorry, but we can't. We cannot look at the at the state at the government authorities and say, yes. Thank you so much for telling me. I cannot receive the the sacrament, for six months, even though it's just down the road, because it might endanger my health. I'm sorry. I don't care. I don't care. I'm willing to take that risk. I am willing to take that risk upon myself. And everybody who's in that church is willing to take that risk with me because we have something more valuable there. We have not just our our temporal lives. We have eternity sitting there. And so what kind of people are we if we allow this to go on for longer than than is right should we be responsible yes should we care for our neighbors by by taking health precautions yes should we allow ourselves to be tyrannized no and should we fight for the free exercise of religion the right to gather together to worship to sing Together, right? It's what it's. What the, it's one of those few things you can't do remotely, right? You can't eat and drink, and you can't sing. Everything else. I mean, you can hear, you can listen, and you can speak, but you can't sing together. So, I am very thoroughly looking forward to the moment when we get to come together as churches again and do that. But given the tendencies of certain. Governors, right? Not even the federal government. That's mostly a recommendation, but mostly governors. Given the state of certain governors, um, I would not be averse personally to bearing the consequences of angering those authorities, because they are abridging the authority that they have actually been given by the government of the United States. Um, You know, the the government of the United States made certain promises to its citizens. And as a citizen of one of the states, I expect those rights to be maintained. And I hope you take some serious thought, because I've thought through this, right? Like I told you at the beginning, right? You got to think through it. You got to defend it. Um, and there is a cost. There is a cost. I mean, it's a misdemeanor. There's a fine involved with it if if I break certain rules. Yes. At what point is a misdemeanor worth it to make the honest confession of what is right? It's a question we got to ask ourselves. It's a question I've been thinking over, and it's a question I'm glad I don't have to uh, really think about too hard just yet, but um, it is an, that is a consequence I am very willing to bear um, if it comes to it. So let us pray that it does not come quickly. Thanks for joining me and stay, uh, stay in civil. Stay, stay angry, stay inquisitive, and be ready to make a confession in season and out of season. Right now, as always, it's out of season. And so now it requires more than ever. So be strong and be brave and trust that you are immortal.